Welcome to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast with your hosts, Jeremy Thake and Paul Schaeflein. Each week, you'll catch us speaking to expert developers about new tech, lessons learned, and opinions in this space. Welcome to episode 264. It's pretty amazing that we're getting up this far, Paul without killing each other or... Well, as often as we tell people what episode number we're on, we could just make it up. <laughs> episode 14,297. We just haven't published them all. <laughs> <laughs> too many, too many that have scratched. So um, how's your week? What have you found out there in the blogosphere around the M365 development? Um, I We found quite a bit, a lot of community stuff I found this week. Uh, yeah. The, you know, I, we've, we've punted a couple because we had a pretty lengthy episodes as well. But um, so if, it were, if we're starting with the community first, first I want to show is getting work hours and time zones for others users using Microsoft Graph. Um, Michael Mendez posted on the PNP blog, and this is helpful to see. Well, it, I found it very interesting because the, the the solution is I want to get the work the time zone and the working hours for a user, and he does it by calling the um, availability API with a date range of twenty years ago, right? <laughs> Which is awesome. So this question came up, I think it was on Twitter, and there is a way, there's a proper API to get it, but uh, it requires a bigger con- consent screen because you have to have mailbox settings. I was like, well, yeah, there's no real way around this. And then Daryl sees the conversation happening on Twitter and obviously has been involved with all the API reviews. And is like, actually, working hours returned when you do get schedule on someone's calendar. And that only requires calendar.read. And, uh, and so, yeah, lo and behold, there are two ways to get working hours. Now, what was disappointing was in the docs, if you do a search for working hours, it only returns the doc page for the mailbox settings and not the get schedule, even though in the rendered page, <laughs> the, the return JSON example set actually has the working hours showing. So we have a problem with our search in docs, surprise, surprise. Um, but, you know, always good feedback and we've got a team working on fixing that up so that, you know, if someone does type in working hours, they'll be able to find both ways of getting working hours and not just the mailbox settings way. Well, well the search on docs.microsoft.com is, frustrating sometimes. I, I was searching for something in the bicep language references and it didn't show up in the title. So I hit the search all documentation thing and it did a search for the entirety of Azure. <laughs> I was like, oh no, that's totally not what I wanted. <laughs> so uh, I'm glad to see this. At least someone's tweaking the, the search on that. I like that. Uh, next law blog post I found is from our old buddy, Victor Villain. Victor posted uh, how to do simple teams tab single sign on in uh, with Microsoft Graph. And Victor is the original author and the maintainer of the Yo Teams generator. So the go-to person to get a simple code to do this. And so he's got a step-by-step including code and configuration on how to put code in a Microsoft Teams tab that uses SSO to get the presence of the current user, just for as an example. So great stuff to see in there. Love it, love it, love it. Uh, actually, have done a have wrapped up some SSO stuff in our product this week, so it's a uh, it's pretty slick, nice to go. So thanks, Victor, for putting that blog post out there. Yeah, and it's using Teams FX, which is obviously built-in utility as part of the SDK. And uh, when you do a create Microsoft Graph client, passing in the credential on the scopes you need. It is returning a graph client, which is the graph SDK. Woo-hoo. Oh, I missed that little tidbit. I like that. Yeah. Okay. So there's a lot of work going on across all these different dev tooling areas. 
uh, where we're all in different CVP divisions where we're actually coming together and making sure we're doing the right thing and not going off and building our own auth stories and graph SDKs to get this stuff done. So, you know, tip to the hat of the TeamsFX team for um, making that happen. I should go dig in deeper because I'm calling my API, which is also secured behind Azure AD. So I'm wondering if some of the bits that I yeah. hacked together in TypeScript poorly, no <laughs> doubt, I could I could put with professional developer bits. <laughs> that would be great. There we go. And then <clears throat> Tobias Simagrim, who I haven't seen blogging for a while, but maybe just hasn't come across my radar. Um, Tobias was one of the first people that I learned SharePoint Dev off back in like 2005, I think. And I still remember the first time I met him when we were in Las Vegas for the SharePoint conference in 2009 and buying him a drink and thanking him for basically helping my career out where I was stuck. <laughs> and the days of buying a SharePoint book in Australia was actually quite hard to do and the internet was the only place to go. And back then docs were terrible that Microsoft provided. And so we lived by people like Tobias and Waldeck and Connell and people like that you and Jups. And so he's written up this whole end-to-end -end thing of using PowerShell to call the graph to send emails and really detailed, like, I mean, back to his old way of blogging, right? Yeah. Um, and he's even open sourced all this stuff on GitHub, which is awesome. So definitely go check that out. Yeah, HTML-based email and so on. Great. Yeah, definitely like to see that. And, and uh we have a follow-on about using, uh, actually, Tobias is using PowerShell. You're confusing a couple links there. Tobias is just going through a C-sharp code to send email. Oh, as I say, it looks like C-sharp. I don't know where I'm like, getting confused with PowerShell. <laughs> Liam Cleary did one uh, using uh, Microsoft Graph PowerShell to send email. So two uh, two ways to do the same kind of uh, thing. That's right. It's funny. There must be some coincidence there that uh, yeah, Mr. Exactly. Cleary is uh, doing a similar thing. And he's actually using the PowerShell SDKs too, which will make Daryl... And my user happy. <laughs> I must admit, that code looks way cleaner than Tobias's code. <laughs> Although, to be fair, Liam is sending an extremely basic email template here compared to what Tobias's one looks like yeah, in yeah. sample. And to be fair, Tobias spends a lot of time at the upfront talking about a scenario and why you may want to do things such as, you know, a secure messaging capability and using the full inbox capabilities that are available through Graph as opposed to uh, just sending a fire and forget type of thing, sending the message in PowerShell. But for to, to Liam's snippet, though, is perfect if you have a, there are lots of folks use PowerShell to automate things either in, in pipelines or just schedule jobs right. or whatever one-offs. And, and it's helpful to say, did it work or when it's run, it's done or let other folks know if I, right? If you're, if you're a busy admin and you need to run some PowerShell to fix something for somebody, just having it do an email when it's done is certainly worthwhile. So love to see that. And yeah, the, the great uh, power, the, the PowerShell commandlets for Microsoft Graph, I've used I've been using them more so around the service principles and app registrations, and not necessarily sending mail, but um, working working like a champ. And I, I love that it's you know using the same auth stuff that I'm using in my code. So, great job that yeah. he actually quotes Tobias at the top too. I think that's why I was getting confused. Ah, uh, there you go. He was inspired by Tobias's blog post and then did the PowerShell way of doing it. Excellent, cool. excellent, yes. Um, and then uh, there's another one, follow up one that Liam posted about using backticks versus splatting versus class objects. And so this is kind of down in the depths of, of PowerShell-y type things. 
but he covers the different types of ways to go through and pass parameters to a function and or a commandlet that and that is very helpful. Personally, this the splatting bit is the way I go. You build up an ob- a hashtag, basically, of the key value pairs and pass it along. That that's generally how the approach I take. But there's a, different ways to do this, and so it's nice for him to go through and and show that. Although I have to say, if I'm writing a script that's going to be run by someone uh, someone else, I'll do the backtick thing just because it's kind of more verbose. Right? Yeah, it's easy to read. Right, that's what uh, you've yeah. done in Basic or DOS or whatever. Yeah, yeah, or more likely six months from now, Paul doesn't remember what the heck I was doing. <laughs> so I want to make sure it's verbose and do that. I mean, the syntax is pretty straightforward on the splatting, but yeah, it's a fair point. Yeah, yeah. And now looping back to uh, some Microsoft things, uh, one more announcement, maybe the last one, uh, SharePoint Framework version 1.13. The, we, we finally have gotten to general availability of this one. So this is the, the version to have if you're extending Viva Connections. And so you want to create a card that you can render in there. So it's been through a long process. I know they introduced a new model to do GA releases of these before, uh, I'm sorry, RC releases. But this one's had quite a long uh, incubation time as the Viva product has matured as well. So finally out to go, ready to go. And uh, all the companion um, tooling from the CLI, I think I saw that. I don't have a link, sorry, but that'll be there soon to upgrade your projects and lots of stuff going on there. And they're already talking about one that 14 is coming along soon with some stuff in there. So uh, off you go, start writing stuff for Viva. Yeah, and there's some interesting embedded YouTube videos there from Ed Everett is a group program manager over there in the SharePoint SPFX land. Luca Investors manager, uh, Jeremy Kelly's manager as well, who looks after all the graph stuff. Um, so great to see him presenting again. I've not seen him present publicly for a while. Yeah, it's the first time I've seen a YouTube with him. I mean, obviously I've met Ed a few times, uh, but uh, I hadn't seen yeah, him out there. Yeah, he's a so. lovely guy and um, he's been around this trap for a long time. So if you haven't watched that, I'd highly encourage you to check out Ed's stuff because, uh, yeah, he's been around this spot for a long time and uh, it's always good to chat to too. Should try and get him on the podcast. Actually, I should add that as a reminder. That's a great idea. Uh, yeah. <laughs> love to see what's going, what's what's percolating behind the scenes there now that now yeah. that the Viva connections bits off. And then there's some uh, we touched on a little bit in the Luca and John uh, episode well, way back when we did that. But some some of the bigger vision for what Viva connections can bring. And now that they've got it out the door, I'm sure there's stuff going on. So we'll definitely reach out and try to get insights as to what's what's coming there. And then just uh, folks are listening. This might be this might be a little late, but uh, we're recording this the weekend before Ignite, and I am going to put a link in here to the guide to Ignite for SharePoint, OneDrive, Viva, List, Syntax, and every other product that's in, in that that organization. Right. So it's just uh, yeah, a bunch of these are going to be on demand. So that's why I figured it's worthwhile to at least put this link in here to come through and see uh, breakout sessions and or keynotes about what's it's the basically what's coming the announcement bit of Ignite. So one place. To to get all that content uh, as well. Are folks going to see you on Ignite this time or are you, uh, you just working in the background again? I, I am in the background. You will see Yina reading a script that I wrote and <laughs> demos that I put together with a team of about 40 different engineers uh, in Jeff Teeper's keynote, which I'd highly recommend everyone check out. But yeah, not this year. No, uh, Ben Summers and Todd Anglin have done the M365 one and um, there's a few other sessions as well that you should go definitely go check out from a developer side. Certainly a little bit small this year. I think we've realized with these online events that um, less is more. And so, 
Yeah, yeah. It's interesting. Hard, hard to, I still haven't caught up on all the build stuff or the right. last, whatever it was, the last event. Yeah, I still hadn't, hadn't caught up on all that. So, yeah. Um, and if you want to talk to me, I'll be in the virtual reality room helping out with the team's collaborative. Uh, I'm, I'm drawing a blank. I'll put a, a link in the notes, but uh, although by this time you see it'll be too late. But the, there's the table topics rooms in Alt VR. And so I'm going to hop into the team's room for development. Mark Rackley and uh, Bo Cameron uh, and I will be. too old for VR, Paul? Well, I don't have to put on a headset or nothing i can just do the same teams head you know then talk right i guess my arms are going to be pasted to my side in the virtual world but if folks have questions on developing for teams the mark and bo and i will be hanging out in that room to answer questions so that's awesome i'll come there if you hear this ahead of time it's tuesday so if you if you do hear this uh monday or uh ahead of time stop in say hi yeah you're on the pulse cool well got a great show here with greg so without further ado enjoy So we've got Greg Taylor with us today, who uh, is actually in our group, which is nice to get you on the show, mate. Thanks, Jeremy. It's great to be here. To introduce yourself, I'm assuming a lot of people know who you are from the exchange space, but uh, who are you? How long have you been at Microsoft? How long have you been in this particular role and what were you doing before? It's probably the best way to intro you. Notoriety, right? So um, yeah, thank you. Um, I'm in the um, M365 kind of ecosystem team now. I've been at Microsoft 15 years which has really flown by. And I've I've pretty much been doing nothing but exchange the whole time in kind of customer experience roles, engineering roles. I ran this thing called the the MCM or Ranger program a few years ago as well. Yeah, I pretty much, uh, I'm a one-trick pony, really. Uh, Email, exchange, (laughs) uh, don't know too much else about anything else as it happens. It's it's funny because when I joined in 2013, anytime there's an exchange question and no one else could know the answer, they're like, Greg will know. You should reach out to Greg. <laughs> and it was just funny that paths crossed again by you joining Ina's team as well. Yeah, I know. It's really, yeah, it's kind of weird. I mean, it wasn't just me, right? I mean, I, I thing is, you know what it's like, where you, you go out and do the events and stuff, right? And, and people naturally link you to product or, you know, an area. And I, I had certainly had areas in exchange I've always been interested in, which are things like security, authentication, client access. But there's a bunch of other folks that I knew, I know through my connections, you know, when we've been around for a few years. And so, I, you know, I'm a good starting point for a lot of people because I know who the right people are, even if I, you know, don't know right. the answer. You effectively know where all the bodies are buried it's been in, a, in a Halloween-themed event. Exchange <laughs> has been around a while, right? And so, there, yeah, there's a lot of bodies. But uh, no, it's, and it's always been a really good team. It's a big team. And uh, a lot of people have stuck around Exchange for a long time. So Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, it's fun times. I forget, how long did Dana just celebrate? Was it like 30 years he's been at Microsoft? At least, on probably. Yeah, he probably started on it before the comp- company started. I mean, there are there are yeah. people who kind of have one name aliases, right? You know, kind of because they joined that early in the days where it was right, Jason right. at Microsoft, right? <laughs> and, and they yes. still work on the product. And that's brilliant. And it's, it's kind of cool. It's brilliant. It's fascinating as well when they start to explain all the different evolutions of exchange and i've been out to lunch with him a few times on purpose just to pick his brains on like what it was like back yeah, then working yeah the early days such a, a small part of microsoft yeah. you know where exchange was so big yeah for sure no i mean it's it's it is terrific still talking to some of those people i mean some have moved on and done many other things right but you know there's still certainly some hardcore you know devs who are still there in the guts of 
exchange, right, which has evolved over time. But um, yeah, I mean, that history you can't, and that experience is really useful for explaining how nobody ever comments their code up properly, right, um, or well enough, <laughs> sure. They certainly didn't in the early days. So um, having those kind of people around you can tap into, I'm pretty sure is very useful still. And for those bugging about your accent, where are you originally from? Well, I'm from Alabama, but I'm obviously wearing a headset made in the UK, <laughs> right? So, um, so I'm I'm from the UK. Um, moved to out to Redmond in 2008, right before the big crash of 2008. That was a nerve-wracking year. Thinking we've all just moved to the US, the whole family, and I might just be put back on the boat and sent home again. But um, yeah, we've been here what 12, 13 years now. We wanted to talk about EWS. In a bit more detail, there's been quite a few blog posts in the last few months around it. And we've had a bunch of people listening, kind of asking what, what's our thoughts around this and our directions. And I thought it'd be great to get you on because you've been heavily involved in this moving into Yina's team. So just to cover, there was two main main ones. The first one was you've personally been on the journey of working basic authentication, deprecation with EWS. And then the second one was We've actually announced deprecation of a collection of APIs on AWS. Um, so for the devs in the room, they're probably more interested in the API deprecations and why. Um, right. And then I think we'd roll into some of the basic core stuff as well, because I think it's important for developers to understand why we've done that and the journey we've been on with that. Yeah, you're right. I think they are related, clearly, right? And uh, And yes, we need our developer community to you know, understand what we're doing and why we're doing it. And we need the help, frankly, because uh, there's no IT pro is going to make an app suddenly start using OAuth rather than basic without the help of one of our developers, right? So Exchange Web Services, which, uh, and you think back to what you just said about, you know, Dana, right? Dana was around before the creation of Exchange Web Services and was probably involved in doing stuff like that, right? And so we're now at a stage where we continue to evolve and change our code and, Exchange Web Services is no longer the primary method of, you know, interacting with Exchange from a third-party app perspective. We've moved on to Graph, right, uh, for third parties. That's the thing you know all too well. And so it's very hard to turn things off at Microsoft because the scale of, of customers, the number of customers and, and applications that we have, but you've got to keep moving forward or it's really hard to sort of embrace new technology and and um, unless if you have to keep maintaining the old, it slows you down. And so a few years ago, we decided that EWS had seen its time and we announced that we were no longer investing in EWS and that um, we would not be adding any more features to EWS. So we put that kind of note out there a while ago. And then it's going to be a long road. Right. We, we know there are many applications that rely on EWS. Outlook is one of them, as an example. Right? You know, Outlook's a heavy EWS consumer, probably if not the heaviest in our service. <laughs> and, and so we've got to start somewhere. What we've done, what we do, a lot of understanding and analysis of what APIs are used. And so the team took the decision that we would begin to chip away at some of the less, least used protocols, or APIs rather, sorry, that, that we could, that we no customers don't need or use. They've become obsolete. So let's just put it out there and start closing some of those off. And one reason, honestly, is to be slightly provocative in a sense and make sure people are aware that we, we are on a path. 
So, so listening to that, that, I had it was under the assumption that like everything was going to be moving to the graph endpoint, but it sounds like maybe some of these APIs won't move to graph because they're not useful or not needed or no one's using them. Is that a fair statement? It is. And uh, hey, Paul, I didn't say hello to you when we started the call. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> He's been sitting there. Um, yeah, no, like, oh, who's that? <laughs> <laughs> but um, no, you're right. I mean, some of the APIs that, we're, that we are turning off are no longer relevant. I mean, API evolve apis evolve and change over time too as the underlying technology changes and evolves and so it isn't that we're just we're looking for apis that people don't use or shouldn't be using anymore because there are better alternatives available maybe the api has already been superseded by some other api and maybe it's even still on ews right you know or it's on graph but maintaining this in, uh, eternal backlog of code just because we don't ever want to turn anything off begins to really limit how we innovate and what we can do um, and hold, ultimately holds us all back. Yeah, and there's, you know, there's a lot of partners out there that this is relevant to because we're not all in the cloud. There's exchange service still exists and when some of these backup recovery or migration or just general administration products were built, they were plugged into EWS and some ISVs have made the jump and moved to Outlook REST and and then others are still kind of sticking on EWS. And I think this first phase of, hey, look, there's 25 least used APIs we have across EWS from Exchange Online is just kind of a bit of a direction that we're setting on, look, you know, there's nothing new coming on, but we also want to start taking things off on the tail end to try and get people to realize that, hey, look, it's, you know, we need to start getting people to move off because there's an enormous cost for us running EWS as as well as the, I guess, nine or so other protocols that there are that you can call exchange with, right? Is it nine? Yeah, it's a lot, right? And that kind of leads into that, you know, we're turning them, we're turning off basic auth for many of them too, but absolutely you're right, which is that, you know, it goes back to what I was saying, which is we we want to keep moving our customers forward. And of course, it's hard anytime when you have this number of customers using anything to sort of, A, let them know that things are changing and B, encourage them to move forward. And, you know, I'm very much kind of of the carrot and stick approach, right? I don't want to, you know, it's not all stick, which is we're not just turning stuff off. We want people to see the benefits of the new stuff. Right, improve security, performance, you know, features and capabilities. There's the carrot for why you do it. And so, you know, remember as well, EWS make it super clear for everyone that these changes we're talking about are for Exchange Web Services for online, as you said, for Exchange Online. On-prem applications can carry on using EWS. You know, there's no impact to them at all. Clearly, that does mean if you work with customers that are hybrid and have mailboxes in both locations, your codes just become more complex because now you may potentially be using EWS on-prem and Graph API against a cloud mailbox. But, you know, AutoDiscover, our service, will tell you where the mailbox is and that's going to hopefully help you figure out which, you know, direction to take. But, yeah, it's difficult to, you know, we've got to move things forward. So back to, you know, the nine protocols, right? So in our basic auth deprecation, which is related to this as well, we're, we're turning off basic auth for EWS but you can use OAuth. But we're also turning off basic auth for POP and IMAP and MAPI and um, PowerShell and ActiveSync. All of those support OAuth too. Uh, we added support for POP and IMAP last year. And so 
applications that use those legacy protocols can switch the authentication type from basic to OAuth and carry on. And, you know, I'm not a developer, right? But you guys tell me. I mean, you know, if that's an easier option than replumbing from, you know, POP or IMAP to Graph, then certainly a, a first step, you know, that, that partners and, and developers can take to sort of get them out of this whole basic auth thing, which is a bad thing for all of us anyway. We should, you know, and, and move to a modern authentication stack, right? Yeah. Now, there were some comments in this blog post, right? So mm-hmm. I want to make sure we kind of address those because actually they haven't been replied to in this blog post. And I feel like we need to do that because this was from the beginning of the month. Uh, the big one that comes up, which we're hearing through the TAP program, our technology adoption program, is look, EWS has a bunch of APIs that aren't available on any alternate API, especially Graph. Uh, the most obvious ones are public folder support, and archive mailboxes. What's our plan there? What are we What are we looking to do if we really intentionally want to get people off of EWS entirely onto the strategic API for the company, which is Microsoft Graph? What if they can't? Well, it's a it's a journey for us. It sounds very uh, you know soundbitey, right? But it's definitely a journey, um, and we're aware of the gaps, and we're becoming. Uh, and we're doing our best to address them. So right now, we've been going through this process over the past year or two of addressing many of the gaps. And there's been a huge increase in the number of things available through Graph that you previously couldn't do, but there is still work to be done, right? And so for us, it's a question of in, uh, putting that engineering investment in to add support for public folders and archive mailboxes and a bunch of other stuff too, into graph so that graph is the answer for we expect that to be the answer i'm not going to sort of uh, uh because this some of this is certainly still being investigated right um what's the right api protocol is is another one is what you know is the is the thing that's missing still relevant today you know we have to sort of ask answer all of those questions i think yeah, and there's there's a lot of internal discussions around the public folder ones, for instance. There are, <laughs> um, which is it's healthy, and I, I, you know, I'm I'm okay to disclose that the right people are at the table now. Like we've we know the owners of the current state of public folders, and you know, quite rightly that the the other team that owns the API for it is like, well, should we really be investing in building those on Graph if you know the feature set of public folders has not been touched in forever long? Like the, I think the statement in the email was. There hasn't been a PM on public folders for like the last five years, so there's no one to go ask. No, no, <laughs> no. And, and 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 a common question is like, do we still need public folders? Can we not just kill right. that? Right. And um and and my response to that typically is, I I believe so far we've tried to kill it, you know, like one thousand nine hundred and eighty seven <laughs> yeah, times. Yeah, it keeps coming you know? back. <laughs> Tony, Tony Revan famously referred to public folders as the cockroach of exchange, right? Um, <laughs> and he's not wrong. And the, and the problem is, like, there's so much history and legacy with a product that's been around for so long that people have built processes around public folders, but they also just use them as a repository or an archive. Now, and we've never, honestly, as a company, given them good tools or migration options to get them away to something else. 
So kind of feel like it's a problem of our own making, if I'm honest, right? But it doesn't mean we've got to, you know, give up on it. We've got to figure out a solution. You know, so when you're talking about the, some of the, all these protocols, or most of them already support OAuth. And so is that the same OAuth that I would do? I, I register an application in, in Azure AD and, and get a token just as I would for calling Microsoft Graph, or there's some unique exchangey things in there? No, it's exactly that. I mean, in, in many ways, Exchange, it's kind of funny. I get this question a lot, which would be, you know, does Exchange now support MFA as an example, right? My answer is typically Exchange doesn't care, right? Exchange, the, the authentication flow dictates whether or not a user has to use MFA. Exchange just consumes the resulting tokens and says, great, whether you had to do MFA, show your eyeball or a drop of blood or whatever it was to get the token. Honestly, Exchange doesn't need to know. And that's the beauty of kind of that flow, right? Which is you don't have to teach the application anything. But yeah, you're right. I mean, the flow is no different than for any other application. Exchange is just waiting for your token. So as, as developers are approaching this, right? So the, the migration path probably is work on getting a token from Active Directory OAuth, MFA, whatever you need first. And then I'm guessing that right now, if I register an application and I can choose, I want permissions to graph or SharePoint, there's some exchange things in there. I'm guessing the goal is to make that list of permissions on EWS smaller, <laughs> and, and right? And so I guess, is there any, any restrictions on that now? Or is it really just things will stop working later? Or do you have any insight how that'll look? I mean, the, the benefits of kind of permissions. So EWS is a pretty much unscoped kind of access everything kind of permission scope that EWS has, which is actually one of the other reasons for moving to graph as well, right, where there's a, a much more granular permission scope available. So yeah, I'm not sure if that kind of answers your, your question necessarily, but... Um, well, yes, yeah, so, so, so I, I, that's what I, where I'm getting at. If I have an application that's, uh, you know, obviously I, I'm struggling. I don't want my stuff to break or I need to move off. So I can still, I guess the message is to developers, it's a familiar tool set if you've done anything with Graph that's just the services or the endpoints will change over time and or get you know removed as we talked about earlier so i guess i'm just making sure just a kind of a soothing the feathers a little bit to say hey the, these these techniques that you can do in other services will still work for exchange as relevant absolutely yeah, yeah. so is there any way for me to know what um what my Okay, so I'm a developer and I've, I've pushed my application out to X number of users. Is there any way for me to know who's still using older things and calling into Graph? Is that, is that some kind of insights as part of this or is it really kind of on me to figure that out? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question, right? And so it kind of tilts more to the sort of basic auth piece all up, right? Which is like, you know, how do I know as a tenant admin or, or developer um, who's using basic auth? In, because... You know, we, 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 we're sort of stating that from October 2022, which is, you know, a year from when we're recording this, we're going to start turning off basic auth in Exchange Online. First question to customers like, well, what's the impact? Or A, a most people say like, well, well, can I have more time, right? And, and that's, a, that's a no, uh, start there. And then it's, well, how do I know I'm impacted? What will be the impact? Well, the impact's pretty dramatic, which is you won't be able to get access to your email or your calendar. So then the logical question is, well, how, okay, how do I know? And so the sort of typical advice we'll give to customers is to use Azure AD sign-in logs, right, which will highlight all their legacy auth logins. And that's going to help them understand um, kind of who's using basic auth, which applications are they using. And of course, if they're using basic auth, there's no app IDs or anything, right? So these are all legacy applications. So 
it's either the protocol, POP or IMAP or whatever it is, or if it's uh, an HTTP-based um, protocol, so EWS or something, right, then you'll have user agent strings that show up in headers and that will help identify the applications. But, you know, you know, figuring out who's using basic auth in your tenant or your customer tenant is actually kind of hard. One thing we're actually planning on starting, I'm hoping in December, is to send, because we know that data obviously at an aggregate level for every customer, we're tracking that. We're going to start sending message center posts to tenants saying, in the last 30 days, this has been your, you know, you've got 57 users using IMAP and basic auth to try and help those admins figure out what the impact is and, you know, how many users or applications are going to cut off from email. But we're going to, we're listing the apps though, so they're not just on like a wild goose chase or? Well, we list them by protocol because the thing is with a, with a protocol like Pop or IMAP, we don't know what application is calling it. Right, there is no information from us. Right, so it's it's really up to them to go work it out. Like, yeah. and can we tell them the users though, so they could go ask, "Hey, Greg, why are you? What app are you using?" So we can't, but they can find that themselves. So the reason we can't is all of that is redacted from us. Right, so at a service level, I can't tell. Not without, not without. Um, it's the kind of information that we only have access to upon like a customer escalation where you have some kind of critical bug we're trying to fix, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's a bunch of approval chains to get yeah, to. Yeah, and, and, and it's done, you know, so all of that stuff is redacted from us. So what I get to see is aggregate levels for things like, you know, let's just say you've got 100 users using IMAP. I can see there's a distinct count of 100 users using IMAP, but I can't tell who they are. A tenant admin, though, can go into um, Azure AD sign-in logs and say, give me the logins, legacy auth logins for IMAP, and it will spew out usernames, IP addresses, any additional date stamps, the whole works. For a, a client like Pop and IMAP, as I said, though, there's no user agent string, right? So you can't tell that it's application X using it. You just know it's Pop or IMAP. So those sort of protocols, definitely, once you know who the user is and the IP address is, you're going to have to go figure that one out. I think that's a. I'm sorry, Jamie. It seems to me though, if, if I know what IP addresses are my my office, <laughs> and so you know, fixing machines that are in my office should be straightforward. So then yeah. it's a matter of well, it's yeah. either a mobile or a home PC and a conversation with them about it. So I, I think you're getting people most of the way there. So that sounds pretty good. And it, and it it does definitely highlight the benefits of of two and Azure AD app registration that it you know by being using those approaches gets a lot more visibility for admins on like who's using what app when and what the permissions of that app are actually using because in the old days well if they were using any of these other protocols you just there was zero visibility into what those things were doing you just knew that it was able to do whatever the user was doing with their mailbox yeah totally i mean that pop and imap example right is is your the visibility you have when it's using legacy auth is really minimal right i mean sure you know the ip but but once you move into a no auth and app registration model, the amount of data that's available for you as an admin or an IT pro, some you know, to, to see what's really going on, the permissions that have been assigned, and you know, it's huge. It's a huge benefit. So it's one of the biggest. You know, it's funny whenever I talk to all the, every customer I've ever spoken to about the basic auth deprecation, not a single one of them has said this is a bad idea. 
Like, they're all. <laughs> well, yeah, that's right. And it's been nice to get the executive support internally too. Like um, just seeing some of these email threads where you give the updates internally of like how many tents have turned it off completely and, you know, seeing our VPs and CVPs even reply uh, with congratulations. And they, they understand the importance of this as well from a risk um, side of it, the house as well, which is good. Yeah, risk risk is a brilliant word to pick, right? Only, only because the risks from leaving it enabled and exposed, basic auth, customers are facing every single day. So here's the sort of the reality, right? Which is that many, if you know you use basic auth and you have to get off it, that's fantastic. But many of our customers have no idea that basic auth is enabled across all of these protocols in their tenant, and they don't use them because they're using modern apps and and but they don't know basic is still enabled. And so there are policies people can go set. They can set security defaults. They can set authentication policies. They can block legacy auth. But I think we all know that you have to have a certain level of knowledge and awareness to know that before you can go and you know do that. So what we're actually doing right now is we're turning off basic auth for all the tenants that don't even know they left it enabled and who don't use it. And so... I've been monitoring our essentially our basic auth usage for probably the best part of nine months now for every single tenant, which is quite a lot of data. And we use we use that to figure out who doesn't even use basic auth. And then we're going and turning off basic auth in those tenants for them proactively. And and that's what we're doing now. And so um, it's a huge number of customers that are left exposed, potentially exposed, and that's what we're trying to do, which is reduce the risk to their data by them being compromised by a you know simple dictionary attack, right? Which is trivial, easy to do these days. Yeah. And, you know, you've been talking to customers and ISV partners throughout this journey of owning this initiative. Like there's definitely one story I want you to share just around like how mail is used and the impact that's had on them by going through this journey. Because I just think it's fascinating that, you know, I mean, there are others that we can't share, which are just, you know, in current world events, we're like, oh my gosh, that just makes total sense. But wow, that's crazy that they're using email for it. But you can definitely share this this one, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, customers use email. I mean, it's ubiquitous, right? And that's the beauty of it. And I, you know, I've been doing this for a long time, right? Any client, you, there's all these, you know, you, it's not a single client thing. Anyone can use it. And people use it for the most incredible things. We know customers use it for um, communication with space stations. I've seen that going on. I've seen, uh, uh, you know, scheduling maintenance at nuclear power stations. I mean, this is all email-based apps. And the one I think you mentioned, the one I spoke to the other day, is healthcare industry. And it's actually been really, and I heard a story the other day, which was new to me, but I've, I've also had this before, which is, you know, people are, there are medical professionals using basic auth and email and calendaring to like look after patients. They're walking around hospitals with tablets, performing, you know, doing their jobs, and email is a crucial part of it. And they're using basic auth. And I don't want to turn them off in October 2022 and surprise them, because seriously, people would suffer as a consequence. It'd be awful. The story the other day was was a new one, which was using iPhones and email to um, alert the transplant team that organs were available, transplants needed to be done, and they were sending out those notifications via email uh, 
And they couldn't use Outlook Mobile because the alert when a new email turned up wasn't loud enough to wake up the surgeon in the middle of the night. So they were using the native mail app on iPhones. Right? <laughs> and I'm like, wow, that's kind of cool. I mean, it's, it's incredible. So, you know, A, it's feedback to the Outlook Mobile team, right, which has already gone back, right, which is obviously we're not, we're not loud enough, right? We need to, like, wake me up out of my slumber notification option. But, but more, it's that this customer relies on email for life-saving stuff, and they're using basic auth. Now, there's a simple solution if you've got an iPhone and it's using basic auth. I'll tell you now, right, which is remove the account from the phone and add it back again. Because if you've got an up-to-date iPhone, anything iOS 12 or newer, it will use OAuth from that moment forward. The challenge is if you set the email account up um, before the phone supported it or before the app supported OAuth, it will use basic auth. And then through every upgrade, it will keep using basic auth. We are working with Apple on resolving that. And, and, and working towards an automatic migration. But in the meantime, you can just remove the email account, add it back to your iPhone, and bingo, bango, you're using uh, OAuth. And so I told them to do that. I'm like, don't wait for us to turn it off. I think you should switch all those accounts to using OAuth, and here's how you do it. So as I think I put in the email that I sent the other day, I literally helped save lives the other day. So <laughs> goes to show you. <laughs> I, I did come across uh, on Twitter uh, someone who's using email for real-time communication. Someone got a, a message in Teams that was a picture, a screenshot of an email that was sent 10 seconds prior, and they're asking if they had seen the email and yeah, responded. I saw that tweet, so, yeah. <laughs> it's a common practice. But don't you get that all the time? Like, yeah. yeah ping, ping me in Teams. Did you see my email? The, the sales field that are obviously working with customers often when they get stuck and don't have the answers, you know, like you, Greg, like they'll find us internally and reach out and they'll send the email at 9 a.m. And then at 10 past nine, they'll ping me and let me know that there's an email in my inbox with a question in it. And I'm like, yeah. You don't have to love it. You can tell them, you know, you should just put the, you, you know, copy the text of the mail into this message right here. <laughs> but whatever. <laughs> or like send them a yeah. tease message with a screenshot of the right reply going, yes, I just replied. You should check your inbox. <laughs> hey, somebody once, somebody once, uh, I got an email saying like, do we support, you know, X, Y, and bet you get this all the time too, Jeremy. It's like, do we support, you know, X, Y, Z, right? Blah, blah, blah. And my response was no. And then they said, well, is that documented? So I put the word no in a Word document and sent it back as an attachment. <laughs> Your sense of humor is awesome. I love it. You know, I mean, it's like, but yeah, I mean, it, but it is funny. It's, it's changing times, right? I mean, a lot of people switch have switched to using Teams almost exclusively. Yeah. Um, or, or many more. And, and I actually get people who tell me, like, I can't keep up with all these different chats right. in Teams. So I actually had an email from somebody I used to work with who's, who is working in an area where everyone's using Teams. And what they do now is because they can't keep track of all the different chats they've got, they take links to those chats and they copy them into OneNote. So now they've got a OneNote <laughs> filled with links to all the Teams chats so they can know who to chat with. Yeah, that's actually pretty smart. I, email email would be great. Just use it. Right. Anyway. Yeah. Well, this is fascinating stuff. I'm sure it could go on and on for hours and hours. I, I remember it, it was SMTP, right? It was simple. I used to say the S is simple. So if you're making it complicated, Paul's not the right guy to talk to. So I would definitely appreciate you coming on and talking about this. Yeah. And, and we are looking for feedback. So Lou Berth uh, from my team is driving this and actually was meant to be on the call, but um, he couldn't. There was challenges jumping on. So we'll get him on the call another time. But 
Um, if you are an ISV partner or you are a managed account at Microsoft, we, we do have a graph tap or a technology adoption program. Um, so if you go to aka.ms slash graph tap form, that URL um, will take you to a Microsoft form where you can apply to be part of the tap. Um, we are actively looking for any gaps that we're maybe not aware of yet uh, between EBWS and graph that we need to fill. And for us, the really important part is, is, you know, we need those customer stories to help prioritize it. So, you know, if you're with a working with a large, large customer and this is blocking you from moving and we haven't heard from you already, um, you know, we're using the show and various other channels to make sure that your voice is heard and we're capturing that feedback. So definitely check out the tap if you're not. Um, there's monthly NDA calls we do from a bunch of people that brief on a variety of different subjects, not just exchange, it's across the entire graph surface layer. And um, Paul is a member of that and is in a bunch of those incubations as that in 365. And you've got a lot out of it, Paul, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Hey, use uh, adaptive cards in your email. It's a whole other conversation we could another protocol on top of exchange for crying out loud. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's cool. So look, Greg, thanks for jumping on. It's um, good to kind of see the inside the house of where we're going with uh, EWS. And again, I just appreciate your work. It's really impressive to see how you program manage that stuff internally. And the way you tell the story internally and externally is great. So thank you. It's very kind. Thanks. And thanks for asking me on. It's, uh, you know, we just we just want our customers and ISVs to kind of be ready for this so that we're not, you know, we're not turning stuff off and, and upsetting them. So whatever we can do to help, we're here for them. Yeah, and actually, just as a final thing, we're, we've announced the turning off of basic auth. Yes. We've not announced anything about turning off EWS as a whole. We have not. Right. So, the, the we've announced 20 of those APIs will be deprecated, but we're not yeah. saying the whole of EWS is shut. So, just to clarify that, because I think sometimes people get a little bit confused in what we mean by deprecating. And Yeah, it's a great clarification. And as I said earlier, and this only applies to online exchange, not on-prem, right? right? So, we're not deprecating anything in exchange on-prem. You can still pick out Exchange 20, 2003 CDs and install on a it, VM if you like. You, you, well, I wouldn't suggest it. I would definitely <laughs> go with something newer than that these days. But, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, in, in, in the online space, uh, yeah, I mean, we haven't announced, you know, a drop dead date for EWS. But I'm just, you know, I think if you if you can read the between the lines or, in fact, really on the lines where we actually say, yeah, we are kind of, we're not further investing in EWS, Um that's not the path, then I just encourage people to sort of take that seriously. We are, you know, we want people to move to more modern APIs. There's a lot more value in it. There's a lot more in it. So, you know, so that begs the question of if I'm, if, well, it's not me personally, but if, if a developer is looking at an app and they're updating their auth and now they're making a call to some EWS endpoint and they try to move it to graph and it's not there, mm -hmm. how do they tell you about this gap? What's the best way to get this in front of folks at the exchange org who can uh, tell us whether it's going to move or when or so on. Uh, I would say, I mean, Jeremy was commenting earlier on my tap. Uh, I would suggest that's probably a great path to start or reaching out to Jeremy's team or the exchange team through the exchange blog as well would be another great place. So, you know, comments on the blogs that we put out related to this subject would be another great way to do it. We feel pretty good that we've got most of the gaps kind of understood, but, you know, people do the most incredible things with our software, right? So, you know, there, there might be maybe scenarios we're just not imagining. So for sure, yeah, we'd like to hear through one of the various channels what that is and we'll have to take a look. Cool. Well, thanks again, man. I hope everyone enjoyed the show and uh, we'll see you next week.
for listening to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast. Please follow us on Twitter at M365DevPodcast and check out our show notes at www.M365DevPodcast.com. To help us spread the word, we'd really appreciate it if you could retweet our episode tweets and give us a review on iTunes. 